The Athletic. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast is proudly partnered with Now. With a Now Sports membership, you can watch the biggest moments from the Women's Super League live. Find out more at nowtv.com. They've had their warning. They've had their warning. Here's Lucy Bronze. That is remarkable from Arsenal. Kirby with the ball up towards Hello and welcome to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Now. Coming up, Everton manager Willie Kirk departs. Chelsea show Juventus they're harder, better, faster, stronger. How many times? And US star Tobin Heath hits her first goal for the Gunners. Joining myself, Lindsay Hooper, it's former Lioness Claire Rafferty and football writer Carrie Dunn. Uh, Raff, I've not spoken to you for I don't know how long. How is life? It's fantastic, thanks. Thanks for having me. Um, yeah, I've, I've been in hiding for a bit, but now I'm, I'm back for good, so you don't get to get rid of me now. That's a good, let me take that lyric. Uh, I've had a few this week, actually. Yeah, get one in there. Um, what do you think of Chelsea's start to the season and what is appearing to be a title race between them and Arsenal? Yeah, you know what? I think it's been difficult, actually, for Chelsea uh, to go... To, to, go, to go and aim for the third back-to-back title um, and having to reinvent yourself once again off the back of the Champions League final loss and kind of that added pressure to, you know, when are they going to win? When You know, what's next? Can they keep going? And then with Arsenal's thrilling start, um, I've been very impressive, Arsenal, to be honest. I think they've been electric. Um, and at the moment, I think they are just pipping well, I know they're sitting top of the table, but I think they're just pipping Chelsea to that race. They look the stronger team, a little bit more consistent. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, I think it's been fan- it's, it's been ent- entertaining, hasn't it, to say the least? It's been brilliant for us to enjoy, hasn't it, Carrie? And I have to mention as well for you that there was there were so many stories during lockdown of people that were leaving cities and going to the country, <laughs> and you are one of those people. I am. I, I'm a. I'm a broadsheet newspaper cliche, aren't I? I should be in a Saturday magazine with glossy photos. Um, yeah, we 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 packed up and we've moved to the wilds of Wales. It's lovely. And you now have a renovation project on your hands, by the looks of it, and huge mass of land. I mean, how are you getting used to that? Having <laughs> been in London before, actually, having the space has been spectacular. I mean, I've got a, a proper size TV now, so I can watch football properly. I've got my Wi-Fi all wired up. I've got my books all out on shelves, which I haven't had done since I don't know since I, since I left my parents' house, which is um, far too long ago now. So, um, yeah, it's nice to have a garden. As well it's very very strange to get used to an entirely different way of living but but we're loving it so far well we're going to come and visit so. yeah. please do we have get plenty of spare rooms you can go and walk my dog for me oh yeah down by the beach that would be absolutely brilliant and um, what have you made of the action on that big tv screen of yours i tell you what it's so fantastic to actually have women's football on on the big telly in hd i'm really enjoying it but it's been a it's been a fantastic start to the season i know that you're kind of talking about it as if it's a two-horse race at the top, which I think it probably is. But I think the quality in general has been pr- pretty good. There's been a lot of tight games, and other than Chelsea and Arsenal sticking you know, five and six past people, it's, it's been relatively even as a general rule. 
There have been, I think, along the way, different talking points as well. So if you take away the two teams at the top and, and the sort of start that Brighton and Spurs have had and then the, the relegation battle, there have also been those other stories about players that have emerged and it seems to have really sw- switched between different players as to who's been shining. Brings us on nicely, actually, because five weeks of WSL action have been completed. Uh, we've got a three-weekend WSL drought for now because it's international break. I don't how we're going to cope with that but for our moments of the WSL with now this week we're going to pick our moment of the season so far so we can cast our memory back over those five weeks moments of the women's super league with now watch the big moments from the WSL live with a now sports membership moments of the WSL with now and Raph I'm going to bring you in first as the former Chelsea player are you going to be predictable Yes, I am, um, <laughs> as always. Um, but for me, it was, I think because I was there live, I was watching it, I felt the crowd, it was Leicester versus Chelsea. And it actually was Leicester's performance that stood out to me, um, the doggedness and the resistance that they put up. Uh, I think it is testament to, as, as we mentioned before, the quality of the league. Um, although they, they've been struggling to get a win, but the performance from every single one of their players, it was just nice to see. They frustrated Chelsea. I think Chelsea looked a bit tired. Um, but the, la- the late goal from Pernod Harder to finally break the deadlock at, I think it was the 82nd minute, um, I just, for me, that was the moment. And it doesn't sound that, that uh, glamorous, but it was, it was how hard Leicester had worked and how much it meant to Chelsea. Because every single game now is, 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 is very competitive and that's what the league is about. And, and I'm going to state the claim and say it is one of the best leagues. So that's, that's the moment for me. And that's the match that epitomised it for you because you're right, there has been a gulf in the past and we've seen teams getting absolutely slaughtered. And that isn't something that we want to see in the top flight. And um, and it does feel like Leicester City's arrival in the league has been really, really great and well organised from the higher echelons of the club. You know, you can tell that there is a plan, a clear game plan, and they've been executing it well. So um, that late winner, can you describe that to us, Raf? So it, it, there was a cross into the box um, but no harder, it would kind of rattle around a little bit and then it, it wasn't that pretty, it happened in the end, but it was about the 100th attempt. Um, it was like a ping pong ball in the box and uh, in the end, the relief on the face of the celebrations from all the Chelsea players uh, was the standout for me, yeah. Not the prettiest goal, but the most, uh, the one that's held the biggest narrative for me. How about for you, Kerry? Um, I'm going to go for Katie McCabe's lob um, against Aston Villa. And I was, I was just about to say which one. She more or less did two. <laughs> the, the one against she? Aston Villa. Um, just because I find, I, I find Katie McCabe's story, talk about narratives here, I, th- I, I find hers really interesting because when she came to Arsenal, she seemed to have been signed as a kind of one to watch for the future. She wasn't kind of part of the first team squad. They were kind of looking at loaning her out all over the place to get her some more first team experience. Of course, she'd come over uh, to England and I think she was kind of maybe feeling a little bit lost, uh, as you can probably understand from a young player. But she stayed there. She stuck at it. She had a fantastic season last season, even though Arsenal perhaps didn't do as well as they might have hoped. And it looks like this season she's just carrying on that form and that level of confidence to try something that audacious, albeit against a, a goalkeeper who probably was out of position slightly. And that level of confidence just kind of shows how much she's come on, I think, in the in the past five years. And it's, it's been lovely to watch. So yes, that's that's the goal for me. 
I love hearing from her as well. She's so humble. And uh, actually, when she did the carbon copy goal just the, the week after, which was um, another one where she executed and just looked up and saw the goalkeeper off the line. She was saying about how she hadn't been great in shooting practice, which just mm. made me laugh because it's all coming together when it's in, in match days. And I wonder from your point of view, Raf, uh, as a player, whether you've seen that with strikers, whereby in training they're just woeful, you know, and, you, and then you see people talking about them. And you're like, what are they on about? But then the match comes around and yeah. they just do it. <laughs> You know what? I think it, it always is the way. I go for shooting practice where you finish in set, you're doing set pieces and, and kind of just open play and training. And it was always the ones who were the better players who kind of were misfiring. <laughs> it's like they saved them all for the, all for the, um, all for the games. I th- and I think that's probably why I was so good in training and not so good. At <laughs> <laughs> I used to love training for that reason. Maybe the, le- the loss of pressure, maybe. Yeah, um, maybe. Yeah, maybe. maybe. See that. I do see that quite a lot. It's quite funny. I think the the player that I'm going to choose actually is probably doing well both in training and in matches. Um, and the scenario for Beth Mead at the moment is that she has to do that in order to keep her starting eleven place, right? Because there's so much competition at Arsenal that she must be looking over her shoulder and seeing the likes of Tobin Heath and thinking, I've got to do well in training here as well as pulling it out in the bag on match day. But she has had a blistering start to the season. I've chosen her performance in particular on the opening weekend against Chelsea because that could end up being, as we've said, the two teams it comes down to and to have what could amount to be a a title decider right at the start of the season. I've gone for her first goal and she did have quite a lot of goal involvements and another goal in this game, but I just thought the first one set Beth Mead on her way. She's since gone on to get Player of the Month award and it just feels already like it's going to be her season. So I had to go with Beth Mead for now. Uh, I'm sure when we come to do the next lot of look backs on the season, um, it could be other players that we're shining a light on, but we'll leave that one there. So yes, we have had a glimpse of the magic that some teams can produce and what the others can offer. Um, If you could pick one word to describe each team's performance, what would it be? We're going to give you ours next. With a Now Sports membership, you can watch all the live Sky Sports action from the Women's Super League. Watch it all for $9.99 with a Now Sports Day membership. Right, here we go. So one word each to describe a WSL's team performance um, in order where they are in the table. So we'll go from top to bottom. We're going to try and be as descriptive as possible here. Okay, Raph? <laughs> we were saying we're struggling with adjectives at the moment. I don't have any with um, Red- for Reading and Birmingham. I couldn't really think of <laughs> which, which I think speaks volumes itself. Go for your instinctive. <laughs> Let's just go instinctive. So okay, Arsenal. Okay. Thrilling. Carrie? Impressive. I'm going to say electric. Ooh. Chelsea. Professional. Carrie. Consistent. Dogged. Ooh. Tottenham. Revitalised. Ooh. Carrie. Surprising. Oh, I was going to go surprising. Sorry. I, I will say reinvigorated, which is sort of like revitalised, Raph, but hey. Uh, Man United, Raph. Building. Mm. Carrie. Progressing. Oh, have you done that two in a row? Two in a row, progressive. Um, trajectory. Oh, love it. Mm. Mm. Brighton, Raph. Mm, meticulous. Carrie, don't do it a third time. <laughs> well, do you want to go first? I'll Liz? go first. Yeah, I'll go first. Organised. Uh, structured, then. <laughs> you were going to go organised, weren't you? I was going to say organised. <laughs> <laughs> Raph, West Ham. Rugged. Ooh. Climbing. 
I was just about to say transition. So yes, okay. Aston Villa, Raph. Sloppy. <laughs> That's savage. Is that too savage? Is that too savage? No. That's quite savage. I no. like it. Okay, sorry. <laughs> I have a, a problem with the one word here because I had error stricken, <laughs> which oh is God. obviously lovely. Which is obviously two words, but I just think that every game I've seen them, they've got errors in them. Yeah. And although they've got some great they're great moments as well, I just think yeah. If I could hyphenate good for 75 minutes as one word, <laughs> that's how I describe Villa. Okay, we'll let you have that. <laughs> um, Everton, I'm going to start us off on this one. And my word from the start of the season, and hopefully you'll understand it, bold. Underperforming. Bewildering. Mm. Man City, Raph. Inconsistent. Disappointing. Brittle. And I mean that with the injuries, by the way, not with the calibre of players they've got. It's just, I think that they've had a lot to juggle. Uh, Reading, I'm going to go carry this time. Under par, I think. Raph? Struggling. Concerning. Birmingham, Raph? Aggressive. (laughs) Someone's already said dogged, haven't they? Um, Yes. Yes. Oh, yes, you said it, because I was thinking, were you looking at your dog while you said it? Um, (laughs) I'll throw one in and see if it helps. So I was I was going to go with physical. <laughs> I, I can see where you're both going with this. I want to say stuck. And finally, Leicester. Promising. Unfortunate. Promising. Um, they have got promise, but whether it will be enough, we shall have to see. The other big news line that's happened this week, ladies, is Willie Kirk leaving Everton. Um, now, you look at the order of the table and everyone was talking about Gareth Taylor and Manchester City being down in ninth. And I think after the poor start they had, Everton had suddenly slipped off our radar. They they were eighth, just two wins in the opening five league games. But I don't think that necessarily we thought they were going to get rid of Willie Kirk this early on. Um, it has been enough to see the Toffees manager get sacked over the weekend. He took over in December 2018, led Everton to the 2020 FA Cup final at Wembley, a fifth place finish in the WSL last season. He took Everton from a bottom of the table team to a mid-table team. But it looked like the club and himself at the start of the season wouldn't settle for less than a top three. Do you think ultimately some of the, and I'm going to use my word that I use with Everton, uh, bold claims that he made at the beginning, which was that they could finish in in the top three and that's where they should be aiming, set a level that he couldn't then show to be hitting? Yeah, I mean... This this isn't new from Willie Kirk though. Last season he was talking about being in the top four and making you know a push for the Champions League places, and they didn't do it. They you know, they missed out on it. And I remember talking to him towards the end of last season, saying, "Are you saying that this season is essentially a disappointment? Have you missed the targets that you set for yourselves?" And of course he he, he talked around it a little bit, but yes, I think he was disappointed. But he's made plenty of signings. He's had, uh, seems to have had the scope to bring people in and the results just haven't followed. So I guess I'm not really surprised that he's moved on. I think I'm quite surprised that it's this early in the season, but if it's not going to work, it's not going to work. 
We can't deny what he's achieved along the way here, um, Raf. I mean, Everton, they've, they've lost to Arsenal, Chelsea and Man City this season, which aren't teams that you'd necessarily expect them to beat. They haven't lost to anyone outside of Arsenal, Chelsea, Man City and Man United, if you had them in, since September 2019. So on paper, it looks like it could be a bit harsh. But as a former player, should we be reading into the fact, and, and this is just something that I, I've observed, I haven't really seen much from players since this happened on social media. You know, sometimes you see statements saying, you know, we wish wish Willie well, he's been brilliant for us. And, and, and maybe there's nothing in that, but I just felt like it was a bit quiet. Yeah, I, I think it's quite ruthless, isn't it, quite on the surface? Um, but I think there must have been something else going on, as you said, it, um, the reaction sometimes you you would expect well wishes. Um, I don't know um, any of the ins and outs, but I think it, it, where football is going, uh, yes, uh, I think boards boards are now being a lot more uh, ruthless with their decision making, and there was a, there was an increase in investment. But I still think the gap was too big for him to close it as quickly as the club wanted. So for me, it does sound like that potentially. There could have been something else going on, but either way, the, the, you know, the, it's the bare minimum. For, I think they wanted to top that top four finish, top three finish, and silverware. Um, so he, he wasn't on track to actually achieve that. So I guess at the end of the day, that's that's the reason why he's, he's been given the boot. We don't want to see managers losing their jobs, and it's certainly not something that that we want to be seeing more of. But I, I suppose it's something we haven't seen as much in the women's game compared to the men's. And the fact that it's happened so early, do you think that's a signal, Carrie, that that it's changing and that there is more demand in, in the WSL now, more ambition and, and clubs aren't just going sit, to sit back and, and watch a team slip down the table? Yeah, it's an interesting thing, isn't it? I mean, we've seen plenty of changes in the way that women's football at the elite level has run over the past 10 to 15 years. And obviously, kind of in, in the previous times before WSL, obviously the people who are managing the teams, also the people doing all the coaching, probably doing some of the admin and the paperwork, you weren't getting kind of people who were just managers. You were getting people who were working across the club. Perhaps they had a job with a men's team as well. So, yeah, I think we're seeing, obviously, this is an era of professional WSL managers with WSL professional teams. And, yeah, the expectations and the targets are going to be higher. So, yes, I'm, I wouldn't be surprised to see more of this. The man who's been linked with this job at the moment is former Lyon manager Jean-Luc Vasseur. And we all know the the pedigree of Lyon Raff. But do you yeah. think that he'd be quite a coup to get him to the WSL and to Everton? Yeah, I think it would be. Uh, he's got a fantastic track record. Um, he won the treble, didn't he, in 1920, um, but was sacked maybe, was it April time? Yeah. Um, which which was surprising for me to see him, him leave. But I guess... He he has brought the club to to this level where it it had this reputation. I guess he has the potential to take Everton to that next next stage that they want to be at. You know, he has that track record, as I just said, and I think it would be massive, right? It would be massive for the league to get to get someone with such such um, such a fantastic reputation and experience. And you look at the timing of this change and whether it be Vasseur who comes in or someone else, there is this three-week international break right now and there's Conti Cup games and they're playing Leicester Everton on the 3rd of November. It's sort of a perfect chance, isn't it, to bring someone in, 
get to know the team for a week or so if they if they move a bit quicker and and have a game where it isn't a WSL league game they they can go and play a Conti Cup match and see how how they want to experiment with systems I am also aware it could actually be the Continental Cup that cost Willie Kirk his job because I think the defeat 5-1 to Man City last week that might have been in those group stages the final straw for him so maybe there's more placed on the competition than I'm giving credit but Grace Clinton's goal for Everton was cancelled out by five City goals scorers. So Shaw, Hemp, Park and White all following Weir's impressive solo effort as well, which we know she's capable of. Uh, City continue to bounce back from a disappointing start to the season, but you'd think that that result um, took them into the international break on a high. Two championship clubs caused upsets. Uh, Liverpool beating Aston Villa 5-4 on penalties and uh, Bristol defeating Reading 1-0. Reading's concerning start continues uh, scoring two minutes into stoppage time um, as Reading sent loads of their shots wide. Durham almost made it three upsets against Man United uh, but it was United that ended up winning 5-3 on penalties. Um, Let's look at these then and some of the fixtures to look out for and who's impressed you most Um, and it's a nice way to shine a light on the championship. Uh, Leanne Kiernan at Liverpool uh, is is a name I've got on my list. by the way, you can plough in Carrie and Raph with any others if you've yeah. got them. But Abby Harrison, Bristol, Beth Heppel, Durham, any more that you want to say or anything you want to can say I, about them? Yeah, can I just say something about Leanne Kiernan? She, I played with her at West Ham. I saw the potential, she's got electric pace, the ability to read the game. It's really nice to see uh, that come to fruition under, under the manager of Matt Beard. Um, I think Abby Harrison has had a really tough couple of years since she actually signed for Bristol City. Obviously, she did her knee ligaments um, couple of years ago so to see her back and playing so well it's it's fantastic to see him she's another young player with with some great potential so I look forward to seeing how she develops and do you think some of these players in the championship are looking at the likes of the recruitment at Birmingham City where they bought through quite a lot of players from the championship into that squad who are starting to show that they're, they're really getting to grips with WSL. I mean, I, I mean it's difficult to say, isn't it? Because there clearly is a gulf between the very top and the bottom. But, you know, they, they with one relegation spot, if you come into a team now, you've got a really good chance of being able to stay there and cement your place and then move up maybe within the leagues to other teams. Teams. Is that the carrot that's being dangled at the moment for these players to try and think, look, if I perform well here, I'm either we get promoted or I'm going to get a chance with it with another club and try and stay in WSL. Is that is that the goal? I think it probably is for for a lot of the younger players. Uh, that, that absolutely would be the, uh, the the trajectory that they would envisage. I mean, I still think it's worth kind of remembering that a lot of championship players, obviously, still being part time, um, might not even want to go professional. So it's kind of just interesting for them to test themselves against the against the big names, against the big clubs when they've got nothing to lose. And um, I don't know whether Raf has something different to say from a, from a player's perspective. Yeah, I, I, you know, I'd love to see that there is that pathway, that potential, because there's nothing worse than wanting to be a full-time professional football player and it's not achievable because the pathway is not there. And I think, Lindsay, as you said, the, the fact that we are seeing players do it, um, it it's, it's such a kind of, it's just like, it adds, it adds drive, doesn't it, to the players in the championship. They know that they can compete. They know that they've, they, you know, there's, it's proven with our teams. And I, I think it's, it's so important to have that because otherwise we're not going to see consistency between the two leagues and the golf will just get bigger and bigger. 
And when you played Conti Cup games, did you find that there, were, there was an element of drive from championship opposition to show we're just as good as you, even though we can't train as much? Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. like a, every, every game was like the final kind of almost because it's a, it's an opportunity to prove if you stand out and in that game if you're playing against the likes of you know West Ham, Chelsea, Arsenal. If you have a great performance, who knows? You might get you know you, you were then on on the club's radar and the scouting pathways. Um, it, it is an opportunity. Every single player like wants to prove that point, and yeah, even though they're not full time, they 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 still have the ability to to shine in them games. So I think it's massive the content of the cup to, to for it to continue and from and for for and for WSL teams to take it seriously as well. And just scanning through some of those results, I've mentioned a few of them. Um, Liverpool beating Villa on penalties. Man City beat Everton five one, which we talked about possibly leading to Willie Kirk's departure. Spurs beating Charlton 1-0. Um, that one, this one caught my eye. Coventry, they've been playing well. 3-0 winners over Watford. Um, Lewis and Crystal Palace drew one all with Palace winning 4-3 on penalties. Um, Reading, as we said, lost to Bristol. London City Lionesses lost to West Ham 1-0. Um, Birmingham City lost by a goal to nil to Brighton and Hove Albion at home. Um, Sheffield United and Sunderland finished one all with Sunderland winning 4-2 on penalties. And then finally, Durham to Manchester United too. And as we said earlier, it was Man United that won 5-3 on penalties. And you'll notice there that there's two teams we didn't mention, which are Arsenal and Chelsea, because they'll be joining in the quarterfinals because of that little thing called the Champions League. Um, <laughs> they were in action against Hoffenheim and Juventus. Cave, lovely ball in there. Miedemar's approaching. <laughs> Here's Sam Kirk. Great block now, Harder. It's another goal for the visitors. This time, it's Penilla Harder. Who else would it be? Juventus 1, Chelsea 2. We'll begin with this one. The free tickets paid off. Over 16,000 fans watched old rivals Joe Montemuro and Emma Hayes face off at the Allianz Stadium. This will also, in Turin, be the stadium that will host the final, should one of these teams get there. Um, Erin Cuthbert, who we recently spoke to on the podcast, she weaved brilliantly through the dozing Juventus defence, scored Chelsea's first. Barbara Bonanzi equalised, but Penilla Harder scored the vital goal yet again for a 2 one victory. Uh, we'll get some scoop from you on Chelsea then, Raf. How do you think they've changed and developed in this Champions League competition over the last couple of seasons? Yeah, I think the key is the adaptability. Um, you actually saw during that game, they had made some tactical changes and adapting you know, what their key strengths are and, and almost respecting Juventus and, and what they can offer. I think they went from, from the three to the four at the back, which saw, I think, in the first half... Chelsea was sitting quite deep, but I think what they're learning now is how to solve the problems during the game. Um, I know um, I was speaking to Erin and she was saying about how she, she felt like they were, you know, caught quite low um, and she's having to adapt to, to her new role. And, and obviously off the back of that, she found herself in space and scored a fantastic goal. But it is about giving these players ownership on the pitch and taking responsibility to change it there. So I think that's the difference. One of the players that I've most recently interviewed was Penilla Harder at Chelsea. And she gave me the real impression that there's so many things that are just clicking right now. She feels really, really great. 
compared to last season where she really played down her performances and said, you know, I wasn't quite at it. It feels completely different this time round. She was involved again here. Um, Do you think it's going to be players like Harder that can take Chelsea to the actual Champions League title? It's difficult to say at, at this point, but certainly Chelsea are looking more comfortable uh, at the European level. I think the I think their defeat at the end of last season on the biggest stage of all, I think that might have been a little bit of a wake up call. I don't know whether whether Raf could give us the inside gen on that, but to to have that defeat to, of that magnitude on that stage must have been a little bit of a kick up the backside. And I think that must have surely brought the squad together, ready to have another go this year. Raf, the battle between Hertig and, and Jess Carter. Yeah. Uh, that was an interesting one on on this. Yeah, uh, Jess Carter, I think she did really well, actually. Hertig is a fantastic uh, player. She's still quite young as well, 26. Um, and she's been performing really well for Juventus. Um, I think Jess Carter, she she seems to be a little bit uh, revitalised and reinvigorated. Mm. Um, she seems a little bit more mature in her decision making, um, and yeah, it was it was a fantastic battle to watch. And I think Jess got the better of her in the end. We'll move on to Arsenal next because they did have a convincing win against Hoffenheim, 4-0 winners. And if Kate was here, she'd be having a Tobin Heath fangirl moment, I'm <laughs> sure. She'll be gutted to miss it. Uh, the US star got her first goal for the Gunners on Thursday. Kim Little with a penalty, Viv Miedemar's tap-in, Leah Williamson with a header. A great win. And I wonder, first of all, Tobin Heath, what she's going to add to this side. Did we get the first glimpses of this with Carrie? Yeah, I think she was a little bit slow getting into the game, I think. And then once she was up and running, she was really up and running. I think, obviously, she's she's an Arsenal fan. And just to see her kind of start to settle into the side and for that all to come together, it was actually quite a special night to, to watch, for I think, for Arsenal fans. Whilst Kate is a fangirl of Tobin Heath, <laughs> I've made it quite clear that I'm a huge fan of Kim Little. And Tobin Heath herself said, I can honestly say I have never played with a better player than Kim Little. That's even floored me. Um, <laughs> you've played against her, Raf. Uh, yeah. You know, is, is, it, is it strange that she's not had as much of the attention as she's getting right now? It's almost like we've got used to her ability and how good she is. Um, I think she does go under the radar a little bit, but she is an absolutely fantastic technician. Um, the way she moves her body way, you know, she can shift. Um, the drum drop of the shoulder I've been on the end of a few of them a few times where you go one way and you know before you know it she's gone past you but it's look to, to have that, that that recognition from from one of the other best players in the world Tobin Heath I think it's it's credit to her but I think Kim is, is uh, she's quite unassuming isn't she quite quiet she doesn't mm. really brag or she's not kind of too bolsterous with all um, but she's it's not going to go to her head is it no, I think her, her prioritising the WSO over international as well has, has been key because she has to keep fit in order to in order to perform. She's just been unfortunate, hasn't she, with injuries. So I think that's what holds her a little bit. But yeah, she's having a fantastic season. But I think one of the interesting things about Tobin Heath saying that is a lot of the American players and the coaches that work in the USA are always very effusive about Kim Little. Obviously, she was over there for a while. And I think you might be right. I think we just kind of take her for granted a little bit too much over here, whereas the American players and coaches and fans still kind of have have her on a quite rightly justified pedestal. 
I think if we took anything from the humbling that Barcelona gave Arsenal last time out, I don't know what we take from this one because Hoffenheim beat Wolfsburg, who are a brilliant team, 2-1 in the Bundesliga at the weekend. Is it all a bit topsy-turvy, Carrie? Yeah, I think so. Um, yeah, that win against Wolfsburg is a really big deal. I don't think anyone's beaten Wolfsburg apart from Bayern in like two or three years, something mad like that. So yeah, that's a, that, that's a really big win. And they get to go again against Barcelona to Arsenal on the 9th of December. And this one's at the Emirates. Uh, it's going to be a little bit of a wait for that one. That's the 9th of December, if you want to make a note. I've already circled that one because it, it will be brilliant for us to see how they do at home. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast. If you're not yet a subscriber to The Athletic, you can get a third off a subscription right now by heading to theathletic.com forward slash WSL pod. You're listening to the Athletic Women's Football Podcast in partnership with Now. I'm Lindsay Hooper, joined this week by former Lioness Claire Rafferty and football writer Carrie Dunn. Um, a few more stories from the past week that have caught my eye. Uh, do feel free to pitch in with your with your verdicts on this. Um, a nice one, because you know what, the world can be a bit of a bleak place at times. But we can hold Gary Lineker in high regard. He's come to the rescue because the captain of Tier 4 Doncaster Rover Bells, Sophie Scargill, um, was having a crowdfunder to raise money for career-saving knee surgery. Now, I think we have to, first of all, point out that down the leagues, this has to be funded by the players. You know, the clubs aren't funding uh, any medical bills, anything like that. It's it's a, a big weight on players' minds to try and get themselves back fit. I don't even know whether that came into play for you at one point, Raph. But yeah. £5,000 here to get this knee surgery, and Gary Lineker gave it a huge donation, £3,000. It since as well looks like uh, Danny Rose and Reese James have donated. Daniel Levy didn't give two pounds, did he? <laughs> <laughs> also worth mentioning that there was a donator called Daniel Levy. We presume not the Spurs chairman that gave two pounds as well. Like it all counts. Um, but it, it's good to see that the, the men's side of the game are rallying round in occasions like this. Although I don't know what your immediate reaction is, Raph, having someone who's gone through all these injuries yeah. yourself, the fact that it comes to, down to a crowdfunder in the first place. Yeah, and you know what? The first time I did my ACL, I was in only 16 and playing for Mill at the time and my parents had to put their hand in their pockets to pay for me to you know get back onto the pitch. And without that, I don't know what I would have done. So... I think it's difficult, isn't it, when the money's not there, the funding's not there. Um, this player, you know, her, her whole career is in the balance and very, very uh, generous to those who've donated. Um, but it's, we still shouldn't really be in that situation. There should be some kind of level of insurance, right? At least healthcare insurance mm. that covers players. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's, I, I wish her all the best. And it's not a nice place to be in to know that you, you might not potentially be able to play the, the, the sport you love again just because of money. Carrie, you jump in. I can sense that you will be passionate about this. <laughs> I am. I am passionate about this. And yes, I thought it was great that these people have rallied round and that she's going to get the up and everything's looking good. But it made me so angry to think that she has to do this crowdfunding. I mean, I think I'm right in saying that she thought that she was insured, but it was for such a small sum, it wasn't going to go towards um, actually covering the up. And I know that they're tier four, but we it's not long ago that we've seen players in tier two 
suffering this kind of thing and having the same kind of problem. When I was writing my last book, The Pride of the Lionesses, I remember talking to Katie Wilkinson, who was at Aston Villa then, and she'd, I think she tore all the ligaments in one of her feet, if if I recall correctly, without looking it up. And she didn't have access to all the rehab facilities at Bodymore. She had some of them, but not all of them. But she had the up and she was fine. London Bees, again, I believe they were crowd, some of them were crowdfunding for, again, for knee ligament surgery mm. a couple of years ago. So th- these were these were tier two teams. This what this isn't just at kind of just the top amateur level. This is our this is our semi pro league. Yeah, um, I remember there- Renee Hector who we've had on this show. She's gone on social media saying that she thought she was going to have to give up the game because she wouldn't be able to recover from uh, from the latest injury again. It's not just about having the money to potentially have the surgery it's the rehab process as well isn't it and being able to have that time yeah the the rehab um the time off work if you're not fully pro to you know put the time into your rehab to be able to play at a good level again um the access to the facilities and again i think if we look back a couple of years we saw there was a whole big kerfuffle about some of the contracts at some of the clubs where players um could be released after a couple of months if they weren't available to play because the contracts that uh in women elite football was was so different from the men's equivalent. So I think we do still have a gap in women's football where players aren't taken care of in the same way that their male equivalents are. And again, I'm really pleased that Sophie Scargill's got got her crowdfunding done and she's going to have the opportunity, she's going to get back to the top. So, you know, fantastic. But we have bigger questions to deal with. This isn't a one-off isolated incident and we can all go, oh, that's lovely. There are players all the time doing these injuries and they don't all have the same access to the resources to get back to, to, to playing fitness and I think we need to ask ourselves some questions as well as you know all the great stuff that's happening in the game we have some more difficult questions to deal with too. And these are positive stories that I'm going to go through a few more actually and they are positive but they've all got an undertone similar mm. to the one that we've just said so I have to check my calendar sometimes are we sure it's not 1821 because um, <laughs> honestly um, because we're, we're going to mention now the Football Association of Wales and the Welsh Government who've started a joint education programme tackling online hate towards women and girls now it's great that they're doing that they released a very powerful video of the Welsh women's team reading out misogynistic tweets uh, do give that a watch if you haven't seen it already. But my gosh, what what times are we living in? I I sometimes despair at the thought that, you know, people have been subjected to hate like that. We've seen Georgia Stanway as well after getting the red card, Raph, um, yeah. saying that she'd had quite a lot online. I know that Alex Greenwood's been quite outspoken about it. Don't you think it's just a ridiculous time? It's pathetic, isn't it, that we still have to kind of accept this? And I think that's the, the thing that we are trying to change. It just, it's just, it's not acceptable anymore for people to just be able to have that level, uh, the level of exposure that you have being on social media. But the fact that people feel like they can just say what they want and, and just abuse um, these footballers, they, they're human beings at the end of the day. And I think it is a fantastic campaign, isn't it, from, mm. from, from the. Um, Wales government and and their, their Welsh FA, but what actually is going to change? What are the, what's what's actually going to be different? 
Yeah, I think that the undercurrent there has to change, doesn't it? We can't just keep having all these programmes coming up because really it's the root cause that needs addressing. Um, yesterday I was following all my favourite women's football journalists, uh, Carrie, you being one of them in there as well. Um, and there was so much talk about joining this group um, to hear from <laughs> Jill Ellis on, on FIFA setting up this new technical advisory group. And it felt like no one could make any sense of anything. So I'm wondering <laughs> if you two can help me and help them and fellow journalists and listeners and fans of the game because they were discussing a big range of topics, including having a Women's World Cup every two years, a Club World Cup, increased in, uh, visibility for the game, prize money, which I think is a big one, uh, international windows. But what did we take away from it? Carrie, over to you to try and help <laughs> us with this. Well, um, having looked back at the transcripts, I'm not entirely sure what we actually learned that was concrete. I think there are a lot of speculative ideas currently on the table. I'm not entirely sure what powers this technical advisory group actually has. Um, one of the things I was really puzzled by was the way journalists kept, she kept kind of emphasising about the Olympics. And she was like, more, more teams should be at the Olympics. And how is that going to fit in? The Olympics already had enough scheduling problems without us going, actually, we want 52 teams at the Olympics this year. Cheers. Um, yeah, it, it's an odd one. I mean, again, I say I'm not sure how this is going to operate. I'm not sure what powers they have. I'm not sure whether they can actually do anything to put these recommendations into practice but it was very confusing and it was very, you know what else oh. made me smile was this distraction technique of just announcing another person another former great player that was on this committee who I, I, I equally think have been scratching their heads and at one point I thought Claire Rafferty is going to come up next because oh. we've got her on tomorrow <laughs> Got something to say. Well, it wouldn't surprise me, Raph. You're on quite a few boards, huh? But oh, um, I'm, I mean, there is, I think the, the thing to say about it is that there's not very much influence that they can have if there no. isn't any power. Come on. No. Maybe a technical advisory group also needs to make sure it's got some people who are good at strategic thinking and communicating ideas as well. It's not just about having a background in football. If you're looking at revamping the entirety of international football and confusing the entire world's uh, women's football media, you need to have someone in there to get this organised because at the moment it seems like a lot of ideas that have just been thrown up in the air and they're just grabbing at them. Yeah, and it's all very well and good having all these great names coming together, but you need them to have the influence and make them valid when it comes to making choices and changing the game. Uh, let's have a look at what's coming up this week then. England matches. It feels like a while since we've been able to talk about this. Uh, let's talk Lionesses. They take on Northern Ireland on Saturday at Wembley and it's their first competitive fixture at the home of English football since its reopening. Um, thoughts on squad selection first because we've got Russo in there, Hampton recalled Hannah Hampton, who I know she, she's been really backed by a manager in the in the league. Um, Jordan Nobbs has returned from injury but has missed out. Uh, what did you think when the squad was, was announced, Carrie? I've been pleasantly surprised with Serena Wiegmann's squads, actually. Um, I am enjoying the balance that she seems to be going for and the way that she seems to be committed to bringing young players through. Um, again, I think she's also kind of thinking about the opposition and kind of the team that she wants to put out against them. But yeah, cautiously optimistic, quite pleased. We've got a young pool of goalkeepers. It seems to be quite the topic, uh, Raf, in terms of none of them being a clear number one, as it were. Who would you pick? 
Um, for me, Mary Earps is the standout for who I think is going to be starting. Um, she has been criticised, hasn't she, for being a little bit inconsistent, but I think um, her performances this season have warranted her to to start over the other two are selected. I don't know what you guys think, but obviously Ellie Roebuck um, has, has has had injuries um, and has been absent from, from recent squads, um, which has opened doors for other goalkeepers. I, I just don't think we benefit from not having a solid number one you know how for years and years we just knew when before the team sheet came out it was Karen Bardsley right that's what we know and as a defensive unit you tell me you knew that too didn't you before even thinking of a squad you need need that when it's it's the consistency from behind you need that spine of the squad Um, and we knew for years who that was going to be I think Defensively, you, you you need to know what what's coming. You need to know what you're getting from your goalkeeper, and that might be one of the downfalls leading forward. But I think she'll put it in place. She'll she'll make her decision. She's relatively new still um, to the team, so she'll ha- she'll make a decision on who she thinks best. And it's up to the goalkeepers to to prove their point. Who who's going to take that position? I'm going to come back to you, Raf. Actually, for my next one, because I've only got two questions left, and I want to put you on the spot with this one. Should Leah be captain again? Yes. I think she should be. I think she is confident. She is consistent. She can play anywhere. Um, and I think she's quite cool and calm, isn't she? Mm. Um, and I think she did a great job last time around. Um, her performances for Arsenal have been positive too. So I don't see any reason why she shouldn't. I, it's a transition time, isn't it, I think, for England. These new players, there's a nice balance of experience and, and youth and I think she, she's been around for a long time, hasn't she? It feels like. Yeah, I, you'd think um, that she was, think was nearly thirty, wouldn't you? Exactly, exactly. I do. I do think she should be. Okay, I don't. I don't sense that Carrie would disagree there. So I'm going to use my final question to ask about Northern Ireland here, because you look at the squad that they've got: Carrie, Simone McGill, Rachel Furness, who I I've loved watching over the years. Um, but if you look at some of the players that they've got, last time out in February, they did lose to the Lionesses six nil. Can you foresee an improvement on that scoreline? Can you see an Im- improvement full stop when it comes to Northern Ireland? Well, I was just thinking it's such a contrast between playing that match in February at St George's Park behind closed doors and then playing mm. it at Wembley. I mean, you can't really get a bit bigger contrast, can you? So it'll be interesting to see um, how Northern Ireland deal deal with that as well. But I mean, I, I, I would expect a relatively comfortable England win but maybe not 6-0. The other two fixtures it's worth saying Latvia against England on Tuesday and Scotland take on Sweden that day as well so other ones to look out for but I'm afraid the clock's ticked down and we're out of time Um, so thank you very much uh, for this week. That is it for this week's The Athletic Women's Football Podcast but do join us again next week we'll be able to actually react to all of those international fixtures and react to other news that's emerged throughout the week in women's football. I'm sure there'll be plenty. It feels like the news keeps on coming, Carrie. Yeah, it does, doesn't it? It's And it's so exciting. It's actually being talked about and covered all over the place. It's not just kind of us talking about it in our little silos of like half a dozen people. People are interested. It's fantastic. And Raf, you must also feel the same that every week there is something new and the, the column inches that the game is yeah. getting, because we've talked about the TV, but, you know, it's just yeah. all over the place. It's exposure, isn't it? And it's being talked about. It's a nice buzz around women's football and long may it continue. Yeah, thank you very much and join us again next time. The Athletic Women's Football Podcast is proudly partnered with NOW. With a NOW Sports membership, you can watch the biggest moments from the Women's Super League live. 
Find out more at nowtv.com. The Athletic.